1993. Bill Clinton is sworn in as President of the United States. People across from the nation lose their ever-loving mind over Beanie Babies. Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park brings dinosaurs to life on the big screen. And as far as music goes, grunge is king. Nirvana's In Utero and Pearl Jam's Versus rule the charts and the airwaves. While the Seattle sound is dominating the music industry, a little over 1,100 miles to the south of Seattle in Los Angeles, California, a band by the name of Counting Crows would release an album that ranks among the best of not just 1993, but the entire decade. And on this episode, we celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Counting Crows debut album August and Everything After by doing a track by track deep dive. So call up Mr. Jones and have yourself conversations. This is That One Show. Great albums. Counting Crows, August and Everything After. August and Everything After is the debut album from the Counting Crows. It was released on September the 14th, 1993 by Geffen Records and was produced by the great T-Bone Burnett, who would later produce the soundtrack to Old Brother Where Out There, as well as Raising Sand by Allison Krauss and Robert Plant. On this record are Steve Bowman on the drums, David Bryson on guitar, Adam Duritz on lead vocals, and Charlie Gillingham on keyboards, and rounding out the musicians is Matt Malley on bass. Four singles would be eventually released from the album, the highest of which is Mr. Jones, and it peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100. The album itself, at the time of its release, is well received by critics and has gone on to sell over four million copies. The album cover depicts handwritten lyrics to a song called August and Everything After. But the band at the last minute pulled this particular song from the album, but left the name of the album the same. It wasn't until a decade later that they played it live at one of their concerts and the song, August and Everything After, was not officially released until January 24th, 2019, exclusively on Amazon Music. They're waking up, Maria, because everybody else has got some place to go. She makes a little motion with her head. Rolls over, says she's gonna sleep for a couple minutes more. I said, I'm sorry to Maria for the cold hearted thing that I have done. I said, I'm sorry by now, at least once, to just about everyone. Says I have forgotten what I'm supposed to do today And it slips my mind what I'm supposed to say 
the lead track off of August and Everything After is a song called Round Here. The song's origin actually predates the formation of Counting Crows when the band's frontman Aaron Duritz wrote the song with his previous band, the Himalayans. The Counting Crows version, obviously the more well-known of the two recordings, is a slow and mellow folk rock song, but the original, the Himalayans version, was more of a up, more up-tempo rock and roll style, a little bit harder and faster. In addition, that has manifested itself in several Crow songs. The two versions of this song feature somewhat different lyrics. On their episode of VH1 Storytellers, when introducing this song, Durrett said, The first way Counting Crows ever sounded. It was just me and Dave in bars and coffee houses playing on open mics doing this song this way. The song begins with a guy walking out the front door of his house and leaving behind this woman. But the more he begins to leave people behind in his life, the more he feels like he's leaving himself behind as well. The less and less substantial he feels like he's becoming to himself. And that's sort of what the song's about because he feels that even as he disappears from the lives of people he loves, he's disappearing more and more from his own life. The chorus of the song, he sort of keeps screaming out these idioms these lessons that your mother might say to you when you were a kid, sort of childlike lessons, you know. Around here we always stand up straight, carving out our names. Things that you are told when you are a kid that you do these things that you should be told. That when you're grown up, it'll add up to something. You'll get a job. You'll have a life. I think for me and the character of the song, they don't add up to anything. It's just a bunch of crap, kind of. Your life comes to you, or it doesn't come to you. But those things don't really mean anything anyway. By the end of the song, he's so dismayed by this that he's kind of screaming out that he can stay up as long as he wants and that no one makes him wait. The sort of things that are important to you, you know, if you're a kid. You know that you don't have to go to bed. You don't have to do anything. This sort of things that don't make any difference at all when you're an adult. They mean nothing. And I guess this song is about me. Here is a little bit from round here. We always stand up straight. came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand She says she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis And she walks along the edge of where the ocean meets the land Just like she's walking on a wire in the surface She parks her car outside my house and takes her clothes off Says she's close to understanding Jesus more than just a little misunderstood She has trouble acting normal when she's nervous Right here carving out our names Around here Omaha, Nebraska isn't the bustling 
city that New York, Chicago, or LA are. But technically, it's not really a small town either. It's not located on the west coast or east coast. It won't be found in the deep south or the Pacific Northwest. It's square in the middle of the United States of America. And Omaha is a place that Adam Durrance chose maybe at random on the song Omaha, track two on August and everything after. But it represents so much more. You see, Durrance is no stranger to the mundane. Having only found fame and fortune a little later than his life, opposed to most of his peers. And like the majority of us, he grew up in obscurity, able to pay attention to the world around him. And he used these experiences to weave a pop philosophy into the lyrics of his song, sometimes slapping the listener in the face with heavy themes. And the heaviness in his best work, however, is found in how subtle and elegant the lyrics are, such as those of Omaha. You see, lots of people are born into circumstances that are out of their control. It's a phenomenon that philosopher Hedegger named facticity, or thrownness. If you haven't taken intro to philosophy in college like I did at Morehead State University, in which it was only an hour long, and the professor would always give us a break 30 minutes in, where he, along with most students, would share a joint, and not even worry about the final 30 minutes of class, this concept can be explained in these terms. None of us are able to choose when we're born, why we're born, or to whom we are born. We don't get to choose our parents any more than we can choose our language. We don't get to select the century we're born in. For the philosophers Hegel, Sarte, and Boy of Air, the idea of this is depressing. Adam Duritz waxes poetic about this very notion throughout the song Omaha. The narrator of this song introduces us in three separate verses to three characters who live a everyday normal life in Omaha, Nebraska, all the way up into their deaths. All across the world and throughout history, men and women have been born into poverty, worked their lives away, and passed away with nothing to show for it. Life can be sad. From the opening line, start tearing the old man down, to the final line, I think you better turn your ticket in and get your money back at the door. Omaha beckons the listener to question their priorities. It calls us to contemplate our individual places in this universe. It doesn't wait for us to sit idly by and let life strangle us to death. Should we allow society to force us into indentured servitude, making us slaves for our wages, living paycheck to paycheck? With a population of about a half a million people, Omaha, Nebraska represents an accurate cross-section of the American population. The most recent demographics mirror those of the nation as a whole, with 74% Caucasian, 16% Latino, 16% African American, and 4% Asian. It's possible, however unlikely, that Duritz did his census homework as he selected a city to be the title track of Omaha.
He knew what he wanted to say, even in the place centrally located was chosen at random. He meant to speak to all of us, regardless of our actual geographic location. For everyone from sea to shining sea must face the facts present in the lyrics of Omaha. For like Thoreau, who went into the woods because he wanted to live deliberately, the narrator of this song warns us to live most life we can before the world sucks it away from us. Whether we are on the east coast, west coast, or somewhere in between, we can identify with this song. Here's a little bit of track two, Omaha. Start tearing the old man down Run past the heather and down to the old road Start turning the grain into the ground Rolling a new leaf over In the middle of the night There's an old man shredding around in the gathering Hey mister, if you're gonna walk on water Oh, could you drop a line my way Omaha Somewhere in the middle of America Mr. Jones is the lead single and likely still today the most well-known Counting Crows song. This song is about struggling musicians, very likely Duritz and bassist Marty Jones, who played together previously in the aforementioned Himalayans. These musicians want to be big stars, believing that's when everybody loves me, I will never be lonely. Duritz would later recant these values, and in some later concert appearances, Mr. Jones was played in a subdued acoustic style, if at all. On the live CD, Across a Wire, Duritz changes the lyrics to, We all want to be big, big stars, but we got different reasons for that. Two, We all want to be big, big stars, but then we get second thoughts about that. And he also changed the lyrics to, When everybody loves you, sometimes that's just about as funky as you can be. Two, when everybody loves you, sometimes that's just about as fucked up as you can be. Some people believe this song is a veiled reference to the protagonist of Bob Dylan's song, The Ballad of a Thin Man, based on the lyric, I want to be Bob Dylan. Mr. Jones wishes he was someone just a little more funky. And according to Durrance, again on VH1 Storytellers, this is a song about my friend Marty and I. We went out one night to watch his dad play. His dad was a flamenco guitar player who lived in Spain. And he was in San Francisco in the mission playing with old flamenco troupe. And after the gig, we all went to the bar called the New Amsterdam in San Francisco on Columbus. In a 2013 interview, Duritz explained that even though the song is named for his friend Marty Jones, it's actually about Duritz himself. I wrote this song about me. I just happened to be out with him that night, Duritz said. The inspiration for this song came as Durrance and Jones were drunk at a bar after watching Jones' father perform. 
And when they saw Kenny Dale Johnson, longtime drummer for the musician Chris Isaac, sitting with three women, it just seemed like, you know, we couldn't even manage to talk to girls. We were just thinking if we were rock stars, it may be easier. So we went home and wrote this song. with lives that are completely meaningless refer to the hotel rooms. Adam Duritz wrote this song, like most on the album, and he calls it one of the most agonizing songs in the band's entire catalog. Get Me a Little Oblivion probably refers to either getting drunk or high or both. Very likely high on heroin. The protagonist of this song stays at home with his disease, which helps him stay awake. But after nodding off, the pain is interrupted by dreaming of blue buildings next to the green sea. When he said there's a dead man trying to get out, I think personally he may be referring to the desire to kill himself. And how do I keep myself away from me is just crushing to me the song goes on to say, and those of us who have ever experienced any kind of addiction, not necessarily to drugs, but to alcohol, to food, even shopping, we know that we are so often our own worst enemy. And finally, personally, I think the little rooms might be shooting galleries where people go to let off stress. Because how could you say every life in a hotel is meaningless? Your hotel, baby. I stay at home with my disease. Ain't this position familiar, darling? Well, all monkeys do what they see. Down Virginia and Oklahoma, 
got an attitude of everything I ever wanted I got an attitude of begins is about denial. It's about when you're in a relationship with someone that you keep denying is anything else other than a fling. And then you wise up and realize that all along while you were denying it, you were actually growing closer to this person. There happens to be a real Anna. She's a girl from Australia that Adam Dirtz met on vacation in Greece in 1989 that broke his heart. Dirtz was far from famous at this time. He saved up money doing landscaping work to be able to afford this trip. And at the end of the trip, he and Anna agreed that there was no way for their relationship to actually continue, so they went their separate ways. The characters of the song keep saying, I'm not ready for this sort of thing, until the very end, when they find out that they really aren't ready for actually ending the thing. But then it's too late. Dirt says that they remained friends and occasionally spoke on the phone, even after Anna got married. And a reporter once reached her to get a comment on the song, and she stated that she's a big fan. And so am I. Here is a little bit from Anna Begins. with the line I wanted so badly somebody other than me staring back at me but you were gone the narrator of this song is obviously missing someone really bad it may be the narrator of the previous song missing Anna and he's feeling so strange when they're not there and he just doesn't want to be there at all or feel anything at all the line I want to sink slowly without getting wet pretty much sums it up as for the end of the song, it sounds like the narrator is just drifting off into a dream and starting to feel kind of angry and maybe a little bit careless. Here is Time and Time Again. 
Take a very brief break, play a couple commercials, and then come back with side B of August and everything after. Hey, Brian, once again here to tell you about my good friends at The Goblin Trading Company. That's right. They are putting out new stuff almost daily. Shirts, hoodies, mugs. Not just exclusive that one show merchandise, but all kinds of cool stuff. They have a really new cool shirt for my D&D friends of a lich. And if you'll just go to Etsy, type in the Goblin Train Company, you can see that shirt and all the other stuff they have a lot of you I've already bought some hoodies and t-shirts of that one show, and I appreciate that. Keep on buying that stuff, wearing it out, tagging myself or the Goblin Train Company on social media and letting us see that cool shit that they are making, because it is cool, and if you want to be cool, you will go ahead and get you a hoodie or t-shirt from the one and only Goblin Trading Company. If you don't know how to get there, in the show notes, I'll have a little link, and all you gotta do is click on that sucker, and it'll take you right there to where you'll see all that awesome stuff I just talked about from the Goblin Trading Company. Kicking off, Side B is ranking. It was released as the fourth single from the album, and the title is a reference to Saul Bellow's Henderson the Rain King. The song peaked at number 66 on the Billboard Top 100 and was ranked by expert as the eighth best Counting Crows song, but personally, it's my number one. Adam Duritz says about this song, quote, I read this book in college when I was at Berkeley called Henderson. The Rain King, and the main character in the book was kind of this big open wound of a person, Eugene Henderson. He just sort of bled all over everyone around him, for better or for worse. He was full of joy and also full of sorrow. He just made a mess of everything. And when I wrote this song years later, I didn't really have anything to do with the book except the book had kind of become a totem for how I felt about creativity and songwriting. 
that it was just the thing where you just took everything inside of you and just sort of sprayed it all over everything and to not worry too much about it. You try and craft it, but not to be self-conscious about it. And it's sort of a song about everything that goes into writing, all the feelings, everything that makes you want to write, makes you want to maybe pick up a guitar and just do it and express yourself because it's full of all doubts and the fears about how I felt about my life at the time. And also the feeling that I really deserved something better than what I had accomplished up until then. I think it is sort of a religious song about the sort of undefinable thing inside of you or out there somewhere that makes you write, makes you create, makes you do any kind of art in any form. And that makes me the Rain King. Never mean a black winged bird. I think of flying down in your sea of pins and feathers and all of the instruments of faith and sex and God in the belly of a black winged bird. So I try to feed me song Sullivan Street from August and Everything After Live at Town Hall, quote, I had this girlfriend who lived in San Francisco. I lived in Berkeley. She lived on the far side of San Francisco and her mother came out to live with her from New York City. And her mother was really, really Catholic. And so she could never really stay at my house. We had to take her home every night. And it was a long drive all the way from the hills of Berkeley down to the freeway and onto the bridge and across the bay into San Francisco, for she lived on the far fucking side of the city. And every time I drove back, I had to let her go. And you know, it's like on top of everything else, I had to let her go. I could never have stayed. She could never have stayed. And I don't know one day I just had this, I got this feeling. I think I wrote a bunch of songs about it. I just knew it wasn't going to last much longer. Not that I wasn't in love with her. And it was even after her mother got the fuck out of town. But I was thinking a lot of these drives. Because I started thinking one day. It was just going to be over soon. I don't know. For me, sometimes it doesn't matter how good it is. It's just going to be over soon. So, I wrote this song. I don't know why I called it what I did. Because I didn't leave anywhere near the place that it's named for. But I also wrote a song called Omaha. And I've never been there in my entire life. 
When we first toured in Omaha, the mayor tried to give me the key to the city. I was so embarrassed that I didn't go. I could have had these huge fucking keys, but I don't got it. I didn't take it. But this is a song about something that matters, and you just know it's going to go. And it's also about a girl named Susan. I don't know where she is now, but this song, it's called Sullivan Street. Ghost Train is a song about loving someone after their death. The narrator's lover grew very old and has taken the ghost train to the afterlife. The line 50 million feet of earth between the buried and me represents how distant this person feels from their loved one. And the line remember everything when only one memory remains means that she told him to enjoy his life after she was gone, instead of just mourning over her death. Here is a little bit of Ghost Train. Hey 
title of this album, August and Everything After, very well may be a reference to Adam Duritz's birth and his life that followed. You see, he was born in August of 1964, and he was born in Baltimore, Maryland, who is the subject of the next song, Raining in Baltimore. The lyrics set the stage of a lonely man out in the middle of nowhere. The narrator is melancholy and often miserable as he's isolated away from those he loves. The listener of this song immediately feels sympathy for this man. However, after multiple plays, it becomes clear that the narrator has done this to himself. He has chosen this isolation. Yes, he is miserable and lonely, but he's choosing to be that way. For all we know, it's easier for the narrator to be there than that is actually to be surrounded by the loved ones who were once in his life. You get what you pay for, but I just had no intentions of living this way, he sings. And this line applies that the narrator intended to isolate himself, and while he misses his loved ones, maybe a girlfriend or a wife, he can't fathom the idea of going back to civilization, to back to work. Additionally, the lyrics are chock full of metaphors and double meanings. The chorus repeats the line, I need a phone call, I need a raincoat, I need a plane ride, I need a sunburn. A phone call is a reference to the corrections. The narrator simply wants some company. He wants to reach out and touch someone. A friend or maybe a relative. The raincoat is a reference to the rain deep within the narrator's soul. He needs protection from this depression. A plane ride and a sunburn are most likely a reference to his need to escape, whether it be a vacation or maybe permanently. It's raining in Baltimore, however, Elsewhere, the sun still shines. Another line that may lead listeners to believe that Duritz is actually singing about long-distance lover is 3,500 miles away, but what would you change if you could? Is this song, once again, about Anna? Since he grew up on the East Coast as well as the West, it's safe to assume that while he's stuck in Baltimore, he left someone special in California 3,000 miles across the country. Or maybe Anna, who's in Australia. Regardless of who he's singing to or about, the words and melodies fall heavy on the listener's ears and heart. Here is a little bit of Raining in Baltimore. No one's around And a phone call I need a raincoat I need a big love I need a phone call Train conversations passing me by, and I don't have nothing 
Closing out the album is the song A Murder of One. Adam Dirtz explained this song's meaning as follows, quote, I can remember being eight years old and just having infinite possibilities. But life ends up being so much less than we thought it would be when we were kids, with relationships that are so empty and stupid and so brutal. If you don't find a way to break the chain and changes in some way, and you wind up, as the rhyme goes, a murder of one for sorrow. Murder is a term used to refer to a group of crows. The band's name, Counting Crows, and a line from this song are both likely references to an English definition rhyme that came from a very old superstition. Here is the closing track on the all-time great album August and everything after a murder of one. Doesn't have to mean you're on your own. You can look outside your window. He doesn't have to know. We can talk a while, baby. We can take it nice and slow. That one show is brought to you by The Goblin Trading Company and is written, recorded, and produced by me, Brian Combs, most of the time right on my kitchen table. If you enjoy this show, I ask that you please share it with others that you think may like it as well. And in the meantime, check out that one show on social media, either on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or all of the above. Thanks for listening. And until next week, spin that black circle.